So on today's show, we've got this theme of looking into the whole sexual harassment issue that's been sweeping the world, including us in this country. We'll start with the Me Too hashtag movement spurred on by actress Alyssa Milano back in October. It's now been a consistent feature on social media since, generating 1.7 million tweets in 85 countries and counting. Hollywood stars, lawmakers, Olympic gold medalists, and many more have come forward to share their stories of abuse. Jen Trady is a research fellow at the Institute for Advanced Study in Toulouse, France, a sociologist who studies digital activism. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So what's your assessment of where we're at now with this particular hashtag movement? We've certainly seen hashtag movements in the past, but this is right up there with them. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you called it a hashtag movement. In many ways, I think it's really a movement that happens to have a hashtag associated with it. Interesting. Right. So as you said, yeah, as you said, people all over uh, the world, at least in many countries, have really taken this up, which has really been an interesting uh, phenomenon that it has gone beyond the borders of one country, because a lot of hashtag movements um, or at least movements that are associated with a hashtag, generally are, are confined to one country. Uh, and every day I see more and more coming out. I was recently learning more about what's happened in Sweden, for example. Yes. Um, it's not stopping. Yeah, I also, um, while researching this, came across how Sweden, a country with relatively higher levels of gender equality than other nations, has particularly taken this on board. What what does that suggest about the relationship between actually societies where women on the surface have it okay, but are also speaking up about the abuse they've been suffering, despite being in a country where you would have thought they would have been more open? Absolutely. In a country like Sweden or other countries that have... um, some laws in place that enable women to uh, work in the workplace, whether it's uh, very generous uh, childcare or other type of system set up like Sweden are really um, facing this. And I think the issue is that um, income inequality doesn't necessarily mean that sexual harassment will be eliminated. And I think that's one thing that's really coming to the fore with this movement is that It doesn't matter um, how much money you make or don't make, that every woman can face sexual harassment. Right. And and so many different forms of harassment or uh, attempted harassment. Some of these Me Too stories have been particularly moving where, where, uh, you know, the case of abuse wouldn't necessarily have succeeded in a courtroom, but where the intent seems to have been clear there, for example. Um, I, I just wonder whether there are several requisite parts here, though, um, and, and despite this being a movement independent of the hashtag, whether the hashtag has been essential to lift it to this status? Yes, I think that one way to look at it is that communication tools have always been essential for political and social movements, right? So uh, whether it's Uh, It was fax machines, right, in uh, the former Soviet Union that people were using, um, or the telegraph, or, you know, other forms of communication throughout the centuries, the printing press, 
right, is said to have been, you know, really important, for example, with the American Revolution. And I think that uh, certainly the Internet uh, has enabled uh, communication more efficiently and globally. But in many ways, um, you know, the hashtag is is just this more efficient way of people communicating and, and also people communicating with each other who wouldn't normalize, normally be able to. And I think that's what's really different with this movement. But again, I don't think that this movement either started with a hashtag or will finish with a hashtag. It's really about women speaking up. And I think the time was right that it happened. You would have thought, though, the time would have been right, say, three years ago. Um, and, and then that leads us to the question of why now? Um, was it the celebrity scandals? Harvey Weinstein, of course, a big one that was in the news so often that, that, that emboldened victims being reminded of the scandals daily to come forward? Right. So I think that is, is a good question. Why now? And in many ways, I think Donald Trump has a lot to do with it, right? So he, you know, his election and so many women in the U.S. being really uh, frustrated that an admitted sexual predator um, would be elected to office. And then we had the large women's uh, protest um, after his inauguration. I think there was this groundswell of frustration. So, you know, yes, you know, some celebrities speaking up and then the hashtag, you know, taking off certainly made a difference. But historically, political movements sometimes seem to have one specific event that tips them off. But usually there's a groundswell of of frustration and also, um, you know, a lot of organizational support, right? So if you look at a movement in the United States, um, as an American sociologist, I've studied the civil rights movement quite a bit. And people often point to an activist named uh, Rosa Parks, who just one day, so the story goes, decided to, um, you know, get off, you know, she was really frustrated and was challenging segregation. Um uh, by sitting in the whites only section of a bus but you know people hold her up as this as this person who just decided to do it one day but there she was involved in a whole broad organization um that had made that decision and i don't think that that necessarily happened with me too but i think we can't look at a movement outside you know just inside a specific hashtag in this instance or one specific case uh, like some of the Hollywood actresses. It's much, it's much broader than that. I mentioned before that you know, some of the cases that I've personally read about would not necessarily have led to a, a courtroom prosecution. However, um, do we need to look at the flip side of this as well, that some of these stories might be making allegations that can't be substantiated, that uh, create victims on both sides, victims of accusations that are false, for example. And, and how concerned should we be about that when when we're seeing the positive wave associated with this movement too? Sure. I mean, I think if we look at the statistics, for example, of, you know, women who have falsely accused someone of rape, they're minuscule, they're tiny. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's, it's less than 1% is my mm-hmm. understanding. And and I think, I think the thing to keep in mind is if you look instead at 
why the Harvey Weinstein case took so long to be published. I mean, reporters were working on this story for over a decade, for years, and could not get a woman to publicly feel comfortable enough to publicly speak up about this issue. So I think as more the case, um, it's that it's, it's frightening and scary, even for Hollywood actresses who have, you know, compared to housekeepers, have much more power um, and income to fall back on, um, that even they had a very difficult time speaking up. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to speak about sexual harassment, and I think it's going to be a rare case that it's going to be a false accusation. Indeed. It, it, it's an interesting legal question, perhaps, though, that will continue to be raised going forward. But um, I, I certainly think many of us would be with you in taking the needs of, of the actual victims into consideration first. What about um, the present cases of ongoing abuse? Because so many of the Me Too stories have been in the recent or distant past, but, but the past being the operative word. How does the movement help people going through this right now? Yes, I think how the movement can help um, people going through it right now is to, you know, I mean, on the one hand, yes, I have, um, you know, at least anecdotally been seeing, um, you know, people speaking up, um, whether it's through social media, about abuse that's happening now. So certainly I think the this movement has allowed the space for women to feel like they can speak up. But I think what is going to need to happen for people to be comfortable enough is that there has to be institutional support, whether it's organizations, whether it's laws that allow people to do this, whether it's, you know, corporate um, systems in place um, where women aren't fired or disbelieved when, when they speak up. So it's going to take much more of an institutional as well as, as, a, as a stronger social movement to enable that to happen. I must say I believe that many men who would not have previously questioned their behaviour will have done so as a result of this. Uh, they, they may have never questioned a remark they made or a, a gesture they made as being uh, abuse, but then you read a Me Too story and you, you start to question that behaviour. But... What about the men who would sneer at this, who would laugh it off? Is there a way of reaching through to them? <laughs> That's a great question. If, you know, how can we reach men um, who may not be open to it? I think, you know, I think it's going to be a long process. I think, um, like you said, I think some men are already open to it and, and questioning. I think for the people that are harder to reach, it's going to take um, more legal uh, and again, more institutional approaches, right? So not only enforcing the laws that we have on the book, if you, you know, um, are sexually harassing or, you know, assaulting someone, um, especially a minor, <laughs> you know, the big case in the U.S. is, um, you know, a senatorial candidate uh, accused of um, having sex with 14-year-old girls, right? So if there's actually not only, you know, the legal precedence, but if actually a situation like we have uh, in Alabama that someone cannot become senator like we had a president become president, um, all the way down, all the way from those bigger cases down to, you know, someone at work 
um, you know, whether it's at a factory or a corporation being sanctioned or even fired for harassing. It's going to take, I think, people who don't really believe it, it's going to take that they're, you know, them having actually faced sanctions for it to make a difference. Well, that does seem to be... Uh, immense power in the solidarity of coming forward for many of the victims here and some of the victims have been men it should be pointed out overwhelmingly female but it's not uh, solely a a gender divide there Jen Schrady research fellow at the Institute for Advanced Study in Toulouse France thank you so much for speaking with us thank you it was a pleasure and as mentioned before, this is a theme on this morning's show, so if you want to get involved right now, please do so. Pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message.